Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Well, it's great to be back from holidays. I hope uh, you've enjoyed some time with family or at least um, people you enjoy spending time with over these uh, last couple of weeks, as we have. Uh, a really thoroughly enjoyable break was had by us. Um, not quite the one that you get when you're at someone else's house and they do all the cooking and cleaning for you, um, but it's still quite nice. Had my grandfather of 92 and a half years come and stay with us for a couple of weeks. Um, came out and had a hit of golf with us and everything, so uh, he's in good form. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I I'm, I'm not making any expectations for 2022. I'm not sure about you, but I'm not making any, but I'm trusting that God has it all in hand. So I trust that what he has in store for us will be what it will be, and it will main, remain faithful throughout whatever comes our way. For those that may not have met me, um, if you're new or visiting, my name is Aaron Wardle. I'm the pastor here. And I'd like to in add my invitation to you to stay after the service um, for a cuppa. I'd love to uh, have a chat and get to know you a bit more. And also, if you haven't yet received a welcome bag, we'd love to make sure that you get one of those before you leave today. Did anyone make any New Year's resolutions this year? No. No. See, some people do. They're like, okay, new year, new opportunity. Um, others don't. I often have some broad goals that I'd like to accomplish for the year. Most of them involve not being as broad the next year. Um, but uh, one of those that I particularly make every year that I, I really try to, to get onto um, is to find something that will add and invest into my daily walk with the Lord. That's sort of something that I renew over and over again because it's something I have always struggled with personally. And last year ended really well in that regard. Finding what works for you is always the key. Now, I listen to a lot of podcasts, like heaps of podcasts. And it's something I always enjoy is having new information being given to you. I listen to sermons, I listen to a whole bunch of different things. But one of the things with my daily devotion is that I've switched to an audio version of it. And I've been using the Bible in One Year app that Judy put me onto. That's also from Nikki Gumbel from Alpha. 
And um, what, what he does is he not only shares a commentary and a theme for every day, but then David Suchitz also reads the scriptures to you. And so it's roughly 25 minutes a day. If you can't afford 25 minutes, then there is an express version that's like 10 minutes a day. Um, but you won't get through the whole Bible in one year in 10 minutes a day. But in 25, we can. So that's pretty good. And as I was going through this last year, one of the devotions or the, the, the days just hit me. And I was like, I need to preach this. Like, it's, it's really important teaching that I got so much out of it, I thought it might benefit you as well. And the main point of it was from this passage about the keys of the kingdom. And so as this is my first opportunity to bring a message for the year, I thought, why not start off with focusing on, on unlocking doors around us with the keys of the kingdom that we've been given by Jesus. So as we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your blessings and for your mercy. And I thank you that we can be here in this new year to celebrate and worship you. Uh, Lord, we pray that this morning you would speak to us as uh, you spoke to Nikki and as you've spoken to so many others about this passage from Matthew. May you speak to us today, I pray. Amen. On the 15th of January in 2009, US Airways Flight 1549 hit a flock of geese as it was climbing, having just taken off from LaGuardia Airport in New York. The bird strike meant that both engines failed. The plane, of course, having just left LaGuardia, was flying over New York City, one of the most densely populated places in the world. Potential disaster loomed for a city already traumatised by crashes of airplanes. Not only were there 155 occupants on board in danger, but thousands more could have been killed had the plane hit one of New York's skyscrapers and all the terrible memories that that would have brought flooding back. Captain Chesley Burnett Sully Sullenberger III one of those really popular names that's taken right off, um, guided the crippled US Airways plane with the immense skill and courage. He performed a successful emergency landing on the Hudson River. You would have seen photos of this or even video. So they didn't have enough attitude or speed to make it to any runway. Not a single passenger died, nor were there any serious injuries. The mayor of New York City gave to the heroic pilot who would save them the keys of the city. Now, to give someone the keys of the city is an immense privilege. They symbolise access and authority. And keys to the city are usually given in recognition of some great service to the city. And it's something that dates back to medieval times. So back in the day, that's a fair few days back, those ones, major cities would be fortified by walls and gates for the protection of the people. When a visiting hero or dignitary came to the town, the people would, would make an elaborate ceremony and present them with a key. And this had a multifaceted purpose. For major merchants and traders, it meant that they were able to enter the city without having to pay a toll. 
For local heroes, it was a sign of respect. And for visiting kings, well, it was a sign of both deference or deference, depending how you, you know, which syllable you press the emphasis, but also autonomy. Basically, it was the, the way of the town saying, we didn't have to let you in, but we chose to anyway. And so in those times, the keys were often functional. They might have even turned a lock, who knows? Nowadays, however, the key really is just ornamental. And the ceremony is the bigger element here. Basically, giving someone keys to the city is a way for a city to honour someone for their actions or contributions. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the key holder. The risen Christ says, I hold the keys of death and Hades in Revelation 1.18. Jesus has brought about a far greater salvation than any other person could achieve. The authority he holds is also the greatest there could ever be. He holds the keys of life and death. Amazingly, Jesus gives to Peter and the church, that is to us, the keys of the kingdom, as we read in our reading today from Matthew 16, particularly verse 19. Yet many Christians feel powerless lacking in any kind of spiritual authority. They do not seem to realise what Jesus has given to them. And right up front, I want you to know this. You are not powerless. You have the immense privilege of having been given the keys of the kingdom. To be given the keys of the kingdom means to be given access to God. This is what Jesus achieved for us. You know, God has always looked for those who seek him. You can enjoy access to God. You have been given that key. And this very concept seems so illogical because no one is righteous. The whole human race has sinned. Every single one of us has become corrupt. Look at what Psalm 14 says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. So verses 1 and 3 are quoted by Paul in Romans 3, 9 to 12, where it explains clearly how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we are all in need of salvation, yet are not worthy of it. But here in Psalm 14, David describes this corruption in general terms. But he also gives two specific examples. The first is denying the existence of God. Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. 
Fools say in their hearts there is no God. That's from verse 1. Denying the existence of God, David calls foolish and is an example of the corruption of sin. And so too is fighting to help the, the poor. Verse 6 says, you evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor. You know, the kingdom of God involves seeking God and seeking justice for the poor. And this is exactly the note on which this psalm ends. David cries out to God asking, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. And thank God it did. Salvation for Israel came out of Zion in the person of Jesus. He lived, he died and rose again to make it possible for you to be forgiven, made righteous by his blood and given access to the Father. Now Jesus, now he gives you the keys to the kingdom of God. So I guess the question I have then is what is a right response to having been given the keys to the kingdom of God? Well, I think it's pretty clear. The first step is to receive the keys by faith. Receive them by faith. The context of Jesus' teaching about the keys of the kingdom is, is understanding and acknowledging who Jesus is. Just as we read in Psalm 14, God is looking for any who understand. So Jesus is quite amazed at the lack of understanding of his disciples. You know, Matthew 16, just prior to our reading today, in verse 9, Jesus says to his disciples, do you still not understand? And in verse 11, he says again, how is it you don't understand? Then the penny drops for Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it is within this context that Jesus gives Peter the keys, saying, on this rock, I will build the church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The words of Jesus are addressed to Peter on the rock-like faith Peter has displayed. Jesus is going to build his church. And on his faith, Peter receives the keys of the kingdom. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter opened the door for 3,000 people to also receive the keys of the kingdom, as we can read in Acts 2.41. And he opened the door for the Gentile centurion Cornelius, and thereby to the whole Gentile world, as we read in Acts 10. Peter opened the door for each of us. But it's not only Peter who has the keys of the kingdom. Later on in, our, in the passage from Matthew, Jesus gives the disciples a similar authority. He says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the extraordinary responsibility and privilege that Jesus gives to us, his church. He gives us the keys of the kingdom. Listen to how this verse is rendered in the message. It, it adds an ease which helps us understand the concept here. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. 
No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. And Jesus says, in effect, that the powers of hell will not overcome the person who has faith in him. Rather, the church, armed with the keys of the kingdom, can storm the gates of hell and set the prisoners free. So the gates of Hades will not hold out against the church. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever noticed this or not, but gates... Gates are not offensive, are they? They're not attacking. Gates are defensive. Aren't they? And yet there's gates on Hades. The gates of Hades will not prevail. That means that Hades is defensive. The church, us, we're the one with the keys. We're the one to go on the offensive. The gates of Hades will not prevail. They are defensive. They are to stop entry to protect what is on the inside. It is the church that is on the offensive and we can be assured of victory against the defences of the enemy. Now we have the amazing privilege of seeing people set free through the preaching of the good news of the kingdom. I'm not sure in your life but in my life I've seen it over and over again through proclaiming the hope of the gospel. I'm not sure about you, but we've seen the joy of people set free from drug addiction, alcoholism, crime, and every other bondage. We can approach challenges with confidence, fearing no evil, knowing that we share in a remarkable spiritual authority. And challenges we certainly will face. So being given the keys to the kingdom and sharing in that spiritual authority requires us to remain faithful to God so that we might be used by God to save others. Now, One intriguing from a story from the Bible which demonstrates how one person's faithfulness to God can save a whole nation is the story of Joseph. I reckon Joseph is... And his whole story is one of my favourite stories. See, Joseph was a proud youth spoiled by his father, despised by his brothers and sold into slavery by them. Yet God was with him and he was faithful to God. He stood against temptation as Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and was thrown into prison after rejecting her based on lies. He was forgotten by those in prison that he helped. He was forgotten for another two years until Pharaoh had a dream which Joseph was able to interpret. Joseph, following this interpretation and obviously the trust being instilled in him by the Pharaoh, was elevated to the role of Prime Minister of all Egypt, the most powerful man in the land except for Pharaoh. Joseph led the nation through great prosperity, then through great famine, as he foretold, where his brothers during this famine came to Egypt to buy grain so they could live. Now, if it was me as Joseph and they were my brothers and they came to me wanting help, 
I would not have been as gracious as Joseph was. I probably would have liked to use that for a little bit of revenge, for a little bit of uh, I told you so, for a little bit of, you know, something to kick the boot in, just to, to rub it in their face, rub it in their noses. But in Genesis 45, we see the account of their reunion. And Joseph's reunion with his brothers and later reunion with his father, Jacob and Israel, you know, who thought his son was lost to him, was reunited with Joseph and Joseph reunited with his loving father. You know, Alexander Dumas wrote, He who has felt the deepest grief is best able to experience supreme happiness. Isn't that true? It's only once you've experienced deep grief are you able to best experience supreme happiness. And Jacob or Israel and his family had been through deep grief. Now they experience supreme happiness. You know, sometimes I try to hide my emotions. I don't like it when I can't control them. I'm not sure about you. Uh, Yet Joseph, he was a man of intense emotion. You know, when he identified himself to his brothers, Genesis tells us that his sobbing was so violent that the Egyptians couldn't help but hear him. He then kissed all his brothers and wept over them. That's not the response I would have had if I'd been treated like that. Emotions are as much a part of our createdness as, as hands and, and lungs. Don't, don't fear showing emotions. It is natural. And it's the way we're created in the very image of God. You know, in the scriptures we read that Jesus wept and showed compassion openly. There's nothing to be ashamed about over your voice cracking or, or tears leaking from your face. We're creating God's image and Jesus himself was not unmoved by emotion. He was moved to tears by the compassion he has for humanity. There's nothing wrong with expressing emotion. And emotions are, are very present and leaking out when we have something to and when we offer something to others, which they probably don't deserve. And I reckon it's mostly highlighted, or highlighted the most, in forgiveness. Joseph, he totally forgave his brothers. In his book, Total Forgiveness, R.T. Kendall describes this as one of the hardest yet greatest things he had ever been asked to do. An unexpected blessing emerged, he says, as I began to forgive. A peace came into my heart that I hadn't felt for years. You know, a few years ago, I really struggled to forgive someone for some things they'd done and sins they'd committed against me. They'd lied to me, they'd got behind my back and caused a great deal of hurt and pain. I went to, to see a Christian counsellor and a trusted brother to, to work through some of the hurt and pain that I was going through and the issue of forgiveness came up. And it was so fresh and so raw that forgiveness was just something I, I simply could not entertain at the time because I was so hurt and I said, it was so raw. You know, and so many people had told me that I had to forgive this person because Jesus had forgiven me. So many people. But I'm not Jesus. I'm not Joseph. 
I just wasn't in a position to offer forgiveness to someone who was unrepentant for what they'd done to me. This counsellor led through a concept of forgiveness that we may miss. We're not asked to offer forgiveness to those who are unrepentant. But we should get ourselves to a place where we can adopt a position of forgiveness should they come to us and repent. Do you see the difference? If we get ourselves to move from a place of unforgiveness in our hearts to a place where we are willing to offer forgiveness, that's the door we need to open. Open the door to be free to offer forgiveness when people repent of their sins against us. It's not blind forgiveness. It's not forgive and forget. But if you harbour unforgiveness in your heart, that will eat you up. It ate me up. But once I was able to move to that place in my heart where I had had dealt with what I had needed to do, where God had dealt with me in what I needed to be dealt with, where I was able to move in my heart to a place where I was able to offer forgiveness. That was the key that unlocked freedom. This person that hurt me never came and repented of their sins that they'd committed against me. In fact, we had some heated discussions where they believed they'd done nothing wrong and couldn't see the reality. But I was able to forgive this person when I saw them in a box when I worked at the cemetery. They were no longer able to repent. But they'd already faced God's judgment. So I was able to forgive them. I'd moved from a place of unforgiveness in my heart and opened the door to be free to offer forgiveness. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers and he was able to see that despite all the hardships he'd been through, he'd been used by God to save lives. You know, three times he says to his brothers that it was God who sent him and so he bore no animosity towards them. Joseph says, don't blame yourself for selling me God was behind it. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. He was able to unlock doors through the journey God had taken him on that led to thousands, if not millions of lives being saved. Jesus said that he came to fulfill the Old Testament. The story of Joseph is a good example of this. Jesus fulfilled what was foreshadowed by Joseph. Joseph's suffering was part of God's plan to save his people. In saving his people, God made Joseph a lord and ruler over all Egypt. And one of the keys of the kingdom is to understand that Jesus is the saviour of the world. To see that behind the cross was the hand of God saving lives through the suffering of Jesus by a great deliverance. Now, God has made Jesus not just Lord of all Egypt, like he did with Joseph, but Lord of all creation. 
You know, the hero of Flight 1549 saved the lives of 155 people, was given the keys to New York. Joseph saved the lives of the people of God, was made Lord of all Egypt. Jesus saved the world and is given the keys of the kingdom, which he hands on to his church. That's you and me. What an amazing privilege we have. So the question for us all today is this. What doors has God given you to unlock and see lives changed? What keys has he given you to release his plans and purposes in your life and in the lives of those around you? What keys have you got to unlock doors and see lives changed? You have been handed the keys of the kingdom. How are you going to use them in this year ahead? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blessing that you have given us of the keys to your kingdom. Whatever we loose on earth, we'll be loose in heaven. Where we bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Lord, you have given us those keys. Lord, you have given us the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church and against your plans and purposes for this world. Lord, you have won victory. But Lord, you've entrusted your keys to us, your church, to unlock your plans and purposes for those around us. Lord, I pray that you would help us in those moments where we have a door in front of us, a door of faith. Lord, I pray door and step right through when it comes to having conversations with our family, with our neighbours, with our friends, with colleagues, when it comes to the sort of witness we have in our community, Lord, may we unlock doors that lead to the unlocking of doors of faith in other people too. May we use the keys that you have given us wisely to further your kingdom here, we pray. Amen.